0: TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Written and read by TL Dawnstar. Book 1.0: The Universe Code. Act 2. Total Hunt Chapter 5 Where's Deborah? He had a smoking hot lead, and that lead was a name, and that name was Deborah. Although Olive Cabinet hadn't given him any information on her whereabouts, this didn't bother Dark Cruiser one bit. After all, He was, for all intents and purposes, a Class A bounty hunter. He punched the name Deborah Dwarfstar into the aging computer console in front of him and allowed the severely outdated machine to run the search. Nothing. It seemed Olive had been right. There was no trace of her in any database on the NetHub. On tough cases like this one, Carl usually relied on a combination of hanging around in space bus shelters on port worlds, shoving a hollow pick of his prey into strangers' faces, or shouting at people in cantinas, bars, and gregses. But his gut told him he'd need more than that this time. He'd need to become the slick, smooth, legendary, bounty hunter, space pirate, detective, former assassin, and dressage champion he was always destined to be, and in many ways already was. Where are you hiding, Dee Dee? He said out loud with his mouth to no one in particular because he was alone with his newly acquired fugitive status there was no chance he could rely on his galaxy-wide network of library assistants urchins and gossipy fishwives that he usually employed and any one of the low-level criminal dickheads in his top-of-the-line digital address book would sell out their own second cousin just to make a quick cubit he needed a professional the galaxy's best information brokers operated out of a deep-space neutron star mining facility located on a rocky asteroid known as the Pits. If anyone knew where Deborah might be found, it was the low-life alien blackmailers, philanderers, and general scumbuckets that frequented the crowded thoroughfares of the infamously dangerous facility. Carl set his course, and the ship obeyed, leaping into uberspace with the sugar-hungry eagerness of a cake-deprived child at a birthday party. En route, Carl decided that his iconic outfit and galaxy-wide known name would be a hindrance to him from here on out. No doubt his frustratingly unphotogenic face would be plastered across every hollow board in the systems. So, using only what was aboard the ship when he did an escape from Spaceport 6, Carl began to fashion a serviceable disguise from items he found left lying around. He stripped the bristles from a toilet brush in the aft bathroom compartment and stained them black, using a pot of Gary Cosmos branded boot polish. Attaching these to a bit of old neck curtain he'd removed from the portside chill-out cabin allowed him to construct a rudimentary false beard, which he strapped across his broad face with a non-toxic safety tape of the ship's previous owner's own invention. He took his hollow knife to his cargo trousers to create a more casual short pant that still offered the kind of pocket capacity he had grown accustomed to and now demanded from any garment that he wore. The finishing touch was a broad-brimmed Akubra hat of a rich mustard yellow that he discovered round the back of the pipes in the auxiliary engine room, along with several issues of steam engine enthusiast, a spool of copper wiring, and a ponnet of Kirkish hyperlemons. Just what the hells were you up to on this ship, James? Carl thought, as his mind raced through several sordid scenarios, each more disturbing yet powerfully erotic than the last. Suitably disguised, he began to flip through the mental Rolodex of former aliases that he kept in his mind, just next to his mental spreadsheet of potential catchphrases. He'd had to retire some of his old favourites, such as Fernando Thunderfist, Dr. Linda Rathbone, and Julian Henge, after an unlikely incident where all three of his alter egos had been invited to the governess of Gravesi's 16th Summer Ball. A night of intense costume changes and confused accent work, led Carl to engineer an entirely fictional, and some would argue over-elaborate, murder plot that reached right to the heart of galactic government in order to do away with the errant identities. Footnote. For the full details on the events of that fateful ball, why not purchase the unaired pilot of the TV sitcom Carl, available from Dawnstar Video on VHS and Betamax, exclusively via postal order? This mission called for an entirely new pseudonym, And after a few hours of solo improv exercises and internal character development techniques, courtesy of the training he'd received at the Brazel Opera Academy as a child, his box fresh nonda bloom was birthed into an unready and confused universe. From henceforth, Carl Dark Cruiser would cease to exist for a bit. In his place stepped the incomparable and delightfully charming, charming delight that was Ken Dimchaser, intergalactic gold trader, an award-winning dog breeder. Ken was the perfect cover to slip into the pits, looking for a sweet deal on some hot, fresh gold from the colliding neutron stars around which the aforementioned facility was built. Satisfied with his objectively flimsy and ill-conceived disguise, Carl, or should that be Ken, strode out onto the bridge of Star Hall. By now, the ship should have exited Uberspace and be rapidly approaching its intended destination. The blanket of blackness, punctuated by the ultra-white-hot glow of the colliding stars, let Carl know he'd been correct in his calculations. He shielded his perma-squinted eyes against the brightness and took a deep breath. Something in the burning light of those twin stars made him think of Olive and of Dank. The siblings whom he'd wronged so badly were never far from the forefront of his thoughts, and although his recent encounters with both of them had left him somewhat bereft, especially in Dank's case because he was fully murdered in front of him, he couldn't help but smile and remember the good times that they'd shared. And as the ship settled into an orbital holding pattern around the pits, he began to hope that the actions he'd take over the course of the next hundred pages or so would somehow bring them back closer to those golden years, even though Olive was royally pissed off with him and Dank dead. He composed himself before the burgeoning tears threatened to render the adhesive tape on his face ineffective and began to descend down towards the pits. The first thing that hit him was the heat. The burning, stifling warmth produced by thousands of furnaces working together to drive the mining platform's temperature to dangerous levels. The second thing that hit him was a light brighter than any known sun in the universe. He looked up, and his eyes began to adjust to the polarizing energy canopy that covered the station, and he saw the unspeakably large balls of furious energy smashing into each other in a blast of gamma rays. Ken recalled the 16-part Holovid documentary about the history of Neutron mining that he'd watched once during a stakeout of his local hair salon. Footnote. For full details, see Wash and Blow Die, A Car Dark Cruiser Mystery. As his questionable at best memory recalled, Neutron Gold mining facilities, like the one on which Ken Dimchaser was currently standing on, had become big business after the end of the Fruit Wars. In an attempt to move the galaxy away from the entirely fruit-based economy that had led to the devastating conflict, the newly established Galactic Council decreed that the systems would revert to the ancient gold standard not used since the last days of Old Earth. For the new system to be efficiently implemented, an enormous quantity of new gold would need to be manufactured. In the turbulent post-war period, it was a well-known fact. That most of the gold in the universe was created by two neutron stars smushing their cosmic faces together like a pair of repressed Georgian aristocrats who had finally been allowed a moment alone from their overbearing families on a moor or behind a hedge. Using recently discovered technology left behind by the elder races such as the MIMS and the Gelk, the government began to construct facilities to engineer the collisions needed to create the all-important shiny element. Over time, these collider platforms became an invaluable resource, and many of the council-appointed governors attempted to wrestle control from council hands. In a series of small but intense skirmishes known colloquially as the Golden Kerfuffles of 2004, the majority of neutron gold mines remained under council control, but some, such as the pits, had managed to reposition themselves as independent corporate entities. This freeing of restrictive government regulation encouraged the growth of illicit services, allowing clients to access insider information about the current density of the stars, currency fluctuations, and the personal business of any major CEOs. While he was remembering this important but slightly tedious background information, Ken felt his steel toes begin to heat up through his rad snakeskin boots and decided it was time to get moving. It had been quite a while since his last visit, and he had a sneaking suspicion that the information broker that he dealt with last time was either dead or lying in a hammock somewhere in the VAMOS system. That was the dangerous game that was played in the pits. Those were the stakes. You got rich, or you died trying. Ken secured his hat at the jauntiest angle it could safely accommodate, and began his journey towards the central rotunda, located a reasonable walking distance from the dock where his ship was parked. As he entered the steamy and crowded space, the smell of red-hot noodles, neon gas, and greggs filled his nostrils. But beneath the pasty-infused aroma, he smelt something else too. The icy, metallic stench of cold, hard information being bought, sold, and stolen. Everywhere he looked, he saw races from almost every known planet in the system along with a few properly weird-looking ones from the far reaches beyond the tightly controlled borders of council space. These alien aliens could best be described as indescribable. Ken made his way over to an aging and rickety fruit stall. It didn't look much compared to the bigger pleasantly lit info desks with their complimentary coffee kiosks and chill-out zones, but in his experience, the premium dirt came from the run-down stalls in the dingier parts of town, and not the slick mainstream operations that occupied the prime spots in the central rotunda. He gave the stall a quick visual once-over to ensure the structural integrity before initiating a calculated casual lean. Peering out from under the brim of his hat, Ken picked up and prodded a Bifasha Quad Orange, running its furry and iridescent skin across his rough hand. Good round, solid squeeze integrity, satisfying circumference... That's an easy seven. 7.64 on a good day, he said, regarding the old Grimalkinate behind the stall. Members of the feline-like species had a natural affinity for cunning and sneakiness that made them perfectly suited for the info trade. A Good eye, young human. I see you are familiar with the Vernon Herxford system of fruit classification. The incredibly old cat-like alien purred through its yellowing fangs. But methinks it is not such zitchig foolishness that brings so distinguished a traveler to this humble shop. No, it is fruit of a different kind you crave, is it not? It continued, with the annoying Grimalkinane tendency to pronounce s's as z's. I'm looking for a woman. Aren't we all space Perhaps Haraldo, two doors down, can help you with that. I am but a simple fruit merchant, and I know not of such vagaries. Listen, pal, I'm not looking for a dance partner. You got the goods or don't you? Carl splurted out, getting tired of the fruit slinger's irritating accent and cliché dialogue. In his anger, he had completely abandoned the languid southern drawl he decided best suited his new alias, and was back to his original gruff tones. Take it easy, friend. Just give me a name. Her name's Deborah Dwarfstar. She's GGA, he replied, pointlessly switching back to the patchy accent of Ken Dimchaser. An assassin? Interesting. They are not easy women to locate. Now look here, cat boy. I got a dozen other two megabit data jockeys lining up for this deal, and they're getting about as jumpy as a plas in a solar storm. Now I'm a busy gentleman, and I don't appreciate people playing the fool with my time. Give it to me straight up. Are we in a position to do business, or am I going to spin on this here hill and mosey on down the dusty road to some other alien lowlife who is? The Grimalconate was silent for a few moments. Carl used this time to reflect on just how far his new identity had come along. Throwing in mangled old earth phrases had really been an excellent touch and had given Ken some much-needed color and authenticity. All right, I can help you. For a prize... The alien replied after ages. Name it, hombre. Fourteen standard hours later, Carl was standing knee-deep in the putrescent foulness any reasonable sentient being should expect from the waste disposal system of a large and overpopulated mining platform. As the deep rumble of the approaching creature resonated through the slick tunnels, his mind was cast back to his childhood on Brazel. Everything had seemed so simple back then. Before the wars, before the council, before high-speed galactic net access. He and his friends would play Drax and gunjarks in the ancient catacombs deep beneath the outer settlements of the Kerabos Mountain. A childish game that had instilled in him a passion for tactical espionage that continued to this day. He was good at it too, best in his quadrant. Footnote Full details in the very young Carl Dark Cruiser Adventures, Volumes 1 to 3, The Brazil Cycles. The trick to spotting and intercepting an oncoming child playing the deadly gunjark was to try and not spot them at all. In the wise words of the head fish monk of Yorick's, let not the eyes look but the ears see instead. Remembering this, Karl closed his two good eyes and felt the vibrations vibrating through the filthy water and mixed waste in which he was now standing in. Karl froze. He knelt, pressing his hands against the seriously disgusting wall. Suddenly, with a crash and a splash, the creature was before him. The beast was a fully grown adult gunjark, just like the ones Carl and his friends used to pretend to be in the amber-tinted mistiness of the past. But this one was very real and ready to maul. Standing approximately 4.2 meters high with matted fur and a bad attitude, the gunjark screamed a scream that loosely translated as, I want you dead and I have the teeth, claws and powerful thighs to make it happen. Remembering that he'd just remembered the thing about the vibrations, Carl reached into his starboard pocket. He didn't know when he'd started referring to his left and right legs as starboard and port, but he'd be damned if he dropped the naval affectation now. He retrieved the open packet of Ernest Ultra's patented Sarkian popping candy that he kept on him at all times in case of lack of sweets-based emergency situations. The aforementioned confectionery was jettisoned from Dark Cruiser's hairy hand with the force of a bag of sweets being thrown from a man's hand, somehow bounced off the extremely sticky ceiling and landed with a sploosh in the filthy liquid behind the gunjark's hulking body. Its hypersensitive ears darted towards the plopping sound, and the beast lumbered towards the packet which was now emitting a cacophony of echoing popping noises. With the grace of an aging lascat, Carl whipped out his hollow knife, accidentally leaving several small incisions across his fingers before he realized that he still had his eyes closed. Suppressing the urge to let out a high pitched yelping sound, Carl speed waded through the miserable substances at his feet and leaped onto the furry back of the gun jar, gripping its greasy hairs and clambering ever upwards towards the monster's disproportionately small neck. Before the alien animal could turn to react, Carl swept his knife across his throat in one jagged, inelegant movement, unleashing a molten jet of fluorescent green blood, coating the ceilings, walls, floor, and other surfaces of the underground passage. The large space monster let out a pained, wet scream of pain and slumped down like a bag of sonic hammers into the slime below. Breathing deeply, Carl slowly untangled himself from the hairy carcass, plunged his knife deep inside the creature's chest, and with no small degree of brute force, ripped free the gunjark's still-beating heart. Another 14 standard hours later, making a total of 28 standard hours since he'd agreed to the shopkeeper's price of one gunjark heart and a packet of Euraxian hypermints which he'd picked up on the way back. Dimchaser sidled up to the fruit stall, wearing a face somewhere between smug gold trader and saucy hollow dancer, and propped up his still slimy boot onto a crate of less than fresh muko berries. Ah, you are a gentleman, kind dark cruiser, heard the aged cat monster. As Carl plunked the now no longer beating heart onto the creaky stall. Much obliged shopkeep. But what in the hells is a dark cruiser? answered Ken, his suspicion levels maxed out. Drop the act, Space Pirate. Or did you think that your ridiculous disguise would fool this old cat? Z mine? Zo so clearly fooled you. The Grimalconate's face began to flicker blue, subtly at first, And then, in a crescendo of digital noise and glitches, the furry alien visage blinked out of existence before Carl's very eyes and was replaced by the piercing blue eyes and flowing red hair of a lovely female human ladywoman.
1: Boy, I tell you, these cheap holomacs get real itchy,
0: she said, almost too fast for Carl to understand. Within seconds, her long glossy hair was whipped up into a sensible on-the-job bun placed elegantly on the top of her head. She thrust out her hand towards a stunned Carl.
1: "'Nice to meet you, Captain. Oh, don't look so shocked. Your accent work is good, but your disguise skills are lousy. If you ever need any lessons from the galaxy's best three years running, you give me a call. But where are my manners? Allow me to intro myself. Name's Felicity Phobos, but my friends call me Phil.'
0: "'Phobos it is, then,' snapped Carl sardonically. His hand remained firmly at his side. "'Geez, tough crowd.' "'Just what the hell's going on here?' questioned Carl the last of his rapidly disappearing patients all but spent. Felicity leaned in close to Carl, knocking over several quackle fruits as she did so.
1: You're called Dark Cruiser, ain't you?
0: She said, with an accusatory point of one of her long fingers.
1: Infamous space pirate, war hero, bounty hunter, and now, so they say, a murderer.
0: Carl instinctively reached for his gun, but found only a mouldy banana where his weapon ought to be. Felicity giggled like a haunted Victorian doll before spinning the purloined plasgun around in her hand like a cowboy, dropping it, picking it up, and then dropping it again. She quickly retrieved it from the fruit-strewn floor and handed it back to Dark Cruiser. What do you want? Carl asked through gritted teeth.
1: Same thing any half-decent reporter in this corrupt, scum-infested galaxy of ours wants. The truth.
0: Reporter, huh? Well, I don't talk to the press, sister. You just tell me what I want to know... And we'll pretend this whole thing was a bad dream, Dig. That is if you got the goods.
1: Two points. Point one. Of course I know where Deborah is. What kind of amateur do you take me for? Don't answer that. Point two. You need my help because A, I refer you to point one. And B, I know exactly who you are. And I'm sure that handsome gentleman in security uniform over there would be quite excited, if not delighted, to learn that the galaxy most wanted man is right here at this very fruit stand.
0: All right, God's damage. You've made your point. Several, in fact uttered an increasingly exhausted calm. Then we've
1: got ourselves a deal, my fine friend. I don't turn you in, and in return you give me the inside skinny on the biggest story, this side of the James Tysar sex bid leak.
0: Wait, wh- what? No I- time
1: to explain, we've got to hustle. That handsome gentleman I mentioned is beginning to look a little too interested in my produce, if you catch my meaning.
0: Not actually sure that I do. Ugh,
1: colour me shocked and surprised. Let's just say, me and the security boys here have had our little tangos in the past, and I may have stepped on a few of their toes, namely Chief Willoughby himself, hence my little feline facsimile earlier.
0: She said with an audible eye roll, as she grabbed Carl's arm and marched him briskly away from the market square, grabbing the gunjark heart and placing it in her distressed leather satchel as she did so. So why reveal yourself to me now? Carl asked, totally reasonably. Reckon it'd take you too long
1: to figure it on your own. Like Auntie used to say, the thing about a spaceman is
0: he... Felicity was interrupted by the bellowing voice of a security officer from somewhere behind her. The voice was screaming for someone to halt immediately. She spun her head around quickly, damaging the structural integrity of her bun, to see the very man of whom she had so recently spoken. Chief Tobias Willoughby was turning an alarming shade of purple, whilst the small white alien he was screaming at began to turn somehow even whiter. Carl looked back towards the developing fracas with the fiery fire of outrage beginning to kindle in the pit of his stomach. The burning feeling forced its way up into his throat, and he found himself with an unquenchable thirst that not even the crispest of fresh bat's milk could alleviate. For this was a thirst not for any kind of liquid known to man or beast. It was a thirst for the sweet, refreshing tang of Lady Justice herself. Seeing the heroic look forming in his eyes, Felicity shot him a glare that could freeze molten lava, yanked him in close, and whispered through gritted teeth.
1: Now, you be smart here, Captain. What happens if you charge in there? Guns blazing, huh? I get made, you get made, we both go to jail, and your little friend there ends up in there with us. It won't exactly be the writs for us, but that goes double for his kind. Right now, he still has a chance. Willoughby hates paperwork more than anything. He'd rather just rough him up and send him on his way. We intervene, it goes from a friendly barbecue in an acquaintance's backyard to a full-on hog roost with your little friend there as a main course. So think on, fly boy.
0: Carl's asymmetrically hairy chest heaved with barely contained rage. His eyes darted between the stony-faced Felicity the now almost scarlet facade of the screaming police chief and the frightened axolotl-like alien. The unidentified alien sensed Carl's gaze and looked back pleadingly through large, wet eyes. Carl knew that Felicity was right, of course. He couldn't risk everything just to save one innocent bystander, and although it killed him to do it, he broke off eye contact with the suspect, turned towards Felicity, and hurried away the alien's screams of pain, dying away as the pair made their escape. The fire in his stomach was put out, extinguished by an acidic concoction of guilt and remorse. And in the years to come, Karl Darkruiser would often lay awake at night, wondering if he could have found a way to save that helpless creature. He'd made tough calls before, he was in the wars, God damn it. but there was something about that pleading face that would stay with him for the rest of his life. A bit of time later, the ace reporter and the daring space pirate slipped into the abandoned mine shaft that served as Felicity's base of operations on the pits. She threw down her satchel and removed her synth tweed jacket, revealing her glow-in-the-dark Tony Doubleday T-shirt. Activating a lamp, she stretched and sat down in a nearby hover chair.
1: I could have gone worse, I suppose,
0: she said. Carl said nothing, but looked at her with a faraway look in his eyes. He had the feeling he was being taken for a ride, but he didn't have much choice. Whoever this crazy broad was, she was the closest thing he had to a lead. Something in his guts told him that she was too self-interested to rat him out and cash in on the price on his head, but he had kept his hand poised on his face blaster during the long journey to the secluded location, just in case.
1: "'Oh, come on, you're still not caught up about that whole Willoughby business, are you? "'I heard tell you were a rough-skinned and ruthless pirate. "'Guess you shouldn't believe everything you read, huh?'
0: "'Says the journal. "'Are you and me going to have a fight today?' "'She asked, with a twinkle in her eye. "'Okay, Phobos, I've played your little game. "'Now let's get down to business.'
1: "'Geez, you could at least buy me dinner 1st
0: "'Don't get smart with me. Where's Deborah?'
1: "'Gotta say, I really thought you'd have more questions.'
0: "'I only need the answer to one.' Don't make me repeat myself.
1: Man alive, what's plugging your exhaust? Phoebe, please! Almost first-name terms, huh? Well, since you asked so nicely.
0: She stood up and removed a small hollow projector from the pocket of her three-quarter-length green synth-leather trousers. Carl couldn't help but admire the adjustments she'd made to upgrade the garment's original pocket capacity. A woman after my own heart, he thought in italic. Felicity threw the projector into the hot air of the mineshaft and instantly, the space was illuminated in the soft green glow of multiple three-dimensional images.
1: I'm afraid the answer you're looking for is a little more complicated than you might like, buddy boy.
0: Carl looked around, and saw a complex web of photos, star charts, strange symbols, and pictures of good dogs. His first question was in relation to the relevance of the canine iconography, to which he received a swift reply that they were part of Felicity's private collection that had somehow gotten mixed in, and that he should shut up and pay attention.
1: Are you sitting comfortably?
0: She asked rhetorically.
1: Then I'll begin.
0: The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Carl Darkruiser was played by T.L. Dawnstar, and Felicity Phobos was played by Theodora C. Sinclair. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl underscore dawnstar. Next chapter, Felicity Explains It All.